Welcome to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff, the A&M Consumer and Retail Group, and for the month of June, BrightSign. It's June 17th, 2021. I'm your host, Ann Mazinga, holding down the OmniTalk fort while Chris is out with my special guests, Dave Ritter and Mohit Mahal from Alvarez and Marcel Consumer and Retail Group. Welcome to you both. Dave, you are going to have to help me initiate Mohit because it's his first time on the show. What, what words of wisdom do you have for him? Uh, it's a, that's a very good question. Uh, have some fun. Uh, just uh, just kind of lose yourself uh, a la Eminem. That's right. That's a teaser. We've got, we got some good questions later on. Mohit, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Glad to be here. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about you. Um, our, our listeners know Dave, uh, but maybe give us a little bit of your background. So I lead uh, large-scale turnaround and transformations within the retail and consumer-facing space. Been have been doing this for 15 plus years, um, and you know it's, it's predominantly been focused within specific sectors like apparel, uh, specialty, food and beverage, and personal products. Well, we've got some stories for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking about Express and J. Crew uh, and Urban Outfitters going uh, towards third parties. So I'll be curious to get your take on that, uh, among some of the other things. Dave, uh, what are you excited about today? Cashierless checkout. I think uh, I think it is a huge part of the store of the future, and can't wait to talk more about it. All right. Well, we are going to get into the headlines. Before we get to the stories, as I mentioned, we have a special sponsor for the month of June, and that is BrightSign. We keep seeing it in the headlines. Traffic is back up to retail stores, and capturing customers' attention is more important now than ever. BrightSign is the global market leader in digital signage experiences for retail. They can plug and play with any tech, voice, gesture control, you name it, and it can all be easily managed through BrightSign's control cloud system. It works with nearly every CMS out there, and with one keystroke, you can pivot out of almost any CMS system on the fly. As I pointed out last week, these guys eat what they cook. BrightSign will do a proof of concept for you at no charge. To learn more, you can visit brightsign.biz. We'll put it in the show notes, or you can hit up our Omnitalk top commentator, Bob Radcliffe on LinkedIn. All right, guys, today's Fast Five, we are going to talk Lowe's Foods doing pickup lockers at the office. Home Depot contracting their own barges, Express J Crew and Urban Outfitters opening to third parties, as we mentioned, Brookfield bringing in gamers. But now we're going to take off with our very first headline. And that is, as Dave teased, Amazon opening its first full size fresh supermarket with checkout free technology at the marketplace in Bellevue, Washington. Holy Hannah, guys, 25,000 square feet, full size supermarket. It will feature traditional checkout lanes where customers can pay with cash, card, and other methods, um, including the the hand scan, the Amazon One Palm. Um, but up to this point, Amazon's only used this technology in its Go and its smaller Amazon Fresh stores, uh, the largest of which was like 7,700 square feet of selling space. Uh, this new one has 17,000 square feet. Dave, I know you're excited about this one. I got to go to you first and get your thoughts. What What's going through your head here? No, listen, I think everyone has has seen this on the horizon for some time, uh, Amazon leveraging their Go technology in a bigger format. Um, that said, I think it's a huge deal. Um, it's uh, it's going to be, cashierless checkout will be a major component of the store of the future going forward. I mean, cashiers in a grocery environment take up about 30% of the labor line on the P&L. So this is a real chance to reshape that. Um, and at the same time, consumers tend to love it. 
um, you know, publicly available data suggests out of Grabango's pilot that uh, that the customers that use the cashierless app in their pilot with Giant Eagle uh, actually returned more frequently and bought bigger baskets. So I think there's a lot to be said here that uh, that it's good from a cost perspective and reshaping the P&L, but customers love it. So I, it's a win-win in my mind. I could not agree more. I think especially as people are starting to come back to stores, like customers are, they've been doing curbside pickup. They're not going to want to go back into the grocery store and wait in line for 20 minutes again. It's just so counter to how we've, this this new pattern and behavior that we've developed. Mohit, what about you? What do you think? I mean, listen, um, I do think this is a really big uh, deal, but I, I think the jury is still out on this one. Right. Really? Okay. This, this has been a tough nut to crack, right? Let's not forget, like over the years, there have been multiple avenues which have been explored. Cashless checkout, smart cards, grab and go with overhead cameras, right? And progressively, the technology is being tweaked, right? But as we kind of think through what the pandemic did, right, it kind of accelerated a lot of structural shifts. But let's not forget, you know, the consumer, which is the center right. of all of this, right? For one of um, a large national uh, retail client of ours, now their consumer base places an extremely high emphasis on the community feel and a tailored personal interaction, which they actually get from the cashier, right? So, you know, there, there would be always instances like that where your consumer base is such that this technology might not be right for a particular retailer. Now, we've also seen examples over the years where there was not enough interest in this technology. Now, the pandemic did change that. Additionally, I would like to point that by 2025, more than 20% of all grocery would be online, right? So then you start thinking about the economics of these models in terms of, you know, what are the costs to put these machines in and how many people are actually checking out. So I would say the jury is still out there, but definitely a big deal and a step in the right direction. So Mohit, I'm going to have to push back on you a little bit. It's your first day, but I'm going to, I'm kind of going to give you the business on this one. I hope you're okay with it because I have to say that survey, while it may be correct, that people may want to interact with the cashier. I wonder how much they're going to want to interact with the cashier after waiting in line for 10 minutes. And if they, as this starts to become more highly adopted, are they going to feel better, you know, like having that interaction with someone at the butcher counter or having that interaction with somebody at the front desk, like different, different positions or roles within the store where they can still feel that community connection. Cause that is important. I totally agree. I just, I just wonder how important it is to have that at the checkout lane. Dave, you said it too. You're right on with, you know, this is, this is a bigger deal than I think a lot of people realize. I um, am going to get on my soapbox for a minute because I just, there was a, there was an article that came out in our local business journal and we have six of these Amazon stores alone come opening in Minneapolis in the next six months, six. And this, this writer said, you know, it's not, this is not a threat. This is not a big deal for regional grocers. Don't worry about it. Not everybody's going to want this technology. It's just, but I I could not disagree more. I think this is going to do to grocery what Amazon did to the independent bookstore. And I think that people have got to start paying attention to it. Um, Dave, you, you're you nodding your head there. You got- yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I think uh, I think Amazon Fresh is a, is a big threat. And I think 
once uh, once Amazon implements these new technologies and their P&L is shaped different and they're more profitable, they can reinvest in price. And I think that's a big threat to uh, to regional grocers because, you know, we all know that value is a, is a big part of the grocery equation. And uh, and being able to compete head to head with a differently shaped P&L just doesn't make sense. I mean, if I was a regional grocer, I'd be engaging the the Grabango's standards, Trigo's of the world immediately to start thinking about uh, piloting this kind of offer. I absolutely could not agree more. We have an interview with Trigo coming up too, where we talk about the rollout. So listeners be on the lookout for that one. Mohit, you get the last word on this one. What's the point and counterpoint? What do you, what do you have to say? I mean, listen, right. I would agree. If you are a large national grocer, this is a big deal, right? Uh, the specific client, which I was talking about, is a value retailer where okay. the whole concept of treasure hunting and bargain hunting, because a portion of their business is closed out, is really important. And in a situation like that, actually having a long line is really good because it tells the consumer there is a really good really? deal in the store. <laughs> right? So I think it depends, right? There, there are going to be situations where this is going to be a big deal, but there would be elements of retail where, especially like within grocery and, and, and big box, which might carry a bunch of other stuff, where this, this might not be that relevant. Fair point. I'll take it. Let's talk about a regional grocer. The Carolina's grocer Lowe's Foods uh, in headline number two, Lowe's Foods is offering busy professionals a new online pickup option at their offices. So according to Chain Store Age, customers at a variety of corporate campuses in the Raleigh-Durham area will now have their online grocery orders delivered to their office and available for pickup uh, from temperature-controlled lockers. The company is partnering with Bell & Howell Quick Collect GL temperature-controlled lockers and will be placing the first installations at their their headquarters in Durham. Dave, we're going to go to you again first here. What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, there's tons of LinkedIn chatter. People are loving this on LinkedIn. So I got to hear what you have to say on this. Yeah, one. so I, I like this. I don't love it. I think this oh. is a... This is a this is a logical step in the in the progression of omnichannel grocery. Um, I think you know, frankly, uh, curbside is a, is a good option, but there's still customer friction in that model where you have to you know, effectively there's wait times and there's traffic in parking lots. So I like it from a customer perspective. I think moving forward, the customer is the channel, so grocers are going to have to just go where the customer wants uh, wants to pick up their their goods or their their products. Um, the thing that I worry about in this in this model is just it seems like it would be capital intensive to roll out a, a, in in less dense uh, office settings. Sure. Um, so you know, it, I, it, I like it. I think it's a I think it's a good idea and, and a logical step in the omnichannel grocery progression. Mohit, what about you? Interesting concept, but as it stands today, probably has minimal legs. I say that for three reasons, um, and I agree with a lot of points which Dave, uh, Dave mentioned. Number one, it's not just capital intensive; it's also labor intensive. Um, the same as someone going and making a delivery, you need to go and you know put the stuff back in in the locker. So, how do you kind of recoup the investment both on the capital and the labor side longer term? Is yet to be seen. Second, you know, urban consumers today are used to getting grocery delivered in a few hours. And how many would be willing to make an order and actually wait till next day to pick it in their office or campus? Number three, as you look at the structural shift with COVID, you know, the expected 
office square footage, at least in the US, is going to go down by 30 to 35 percent, which has implications on you know density and again ties back to the economics of the model. Leaving the economics aside for a second, right? As a society, as you think about sustainability, are we better off using reusable coal packs versus you know putting all this infrastructure in, in offices? So net net, I would say as it as this stands, probably has minimal legs. You guys, this is going to be a polarizing show. I can already tell because I I while I totally and completely understand your points. I am all for the experimentation in this one, especially for the regional grocers. I think this gives you a leg up. And I I just, I think back to my days at Target and you are totally right. You know, this is capital intensive. You have to have mass and you, and Mohit, you have to have people in the office for this to really be a, a thing that makes sense. But if I could have ordered my groceries in the morning and even like when I think about, you know, at Target, it's not just groceries either. If I could order all the things from a variety of retailers and a variety of items, not just groceries and have them delivered so that I can pick them up as I walk out the door of my office, I am using that day in and day out. I 100%. And so I think that while there are a lot of of you know things that are underlying here that all have to play out it has to be same day delivery probably it has to be you know a variety of items it has to go beyond grocery at some point and the the cost uh, you know justification has to be there but i think if you have these in the right areas it could be a really compelling way when you know there's an amazon grocery store you know down the street if i could have it delivered to me i might choose this option instead it seems the jury is out on this one as well. Completely agree that as a, as a pilot, you know, definitely to be seen how, how this plays out with the consumers. Absolutely. Well, you guys, I think we might have the audience have to start like placing bets before each show. So like if you're listening in the office right now, um, you after each headline, maybe you can uh, you can start a, a group pool of, of who's going to be pro and who's going to be gone on these stories. <laughs> All right, let's get to headline number three. Uh, In an attempt to cope with congested ports, COVID-19 delayed shipments, and other supply chain issues, Home Depot has contracted its own container ship, a move I didn't even know was possible, but Home Depot has done it. Uh, The ship will start running next month and will be 100% dedicated to Home Depot products. Uh, Throughout the pandemic, Home Depot has also flown in paper towels, faucets, electrical components, fasteners, and other smaller high-value items by air freight. Uh, they've even purchased high demand items on the spot market at as much as four times the contracted rates. And I have to say, when I first read this story, it reminded me of growing up when I was a teenager. I worked at a corn stand. And when we'd run out of corn, which we would, you know, it'd be like early in the season, we'd run out of sweet corn. And I'd have to run to the local grocery store across the highway from my stand and buy corn from them and fill it in to, to like get our supply up. And I had to pay full price for it. But I, I didn't realize that like Home Depot was doing this too. And Mohit, I want to start with you. This is why I love having you and Dave on the show. Um, we are going to put you on the spot this week. Instead of you putting us on the spot, I'm putting you both on the spot. Tell me what you would advise somebody like Home Depot to do in this situation. I mean, do you take matters into your own hands like this? Do you buy your own barge? Some people on LinkedIn are suggesting teaming up with other retailers to buy ships together. I mean, what is the strategy here? Mohit, we'll start with you. Three words. Interesting, but irrelevant. And okay. Hey, I say that, right? I mean, if you think about today end-to-end global supply chain operations, 
it's a complex combination of equipment okay. labor and port infrastructure now adding a ship for home depot which is probably like the third or fourth largest uh, uh importer uh, within the retail space is like me going to the beach and taking out a glass of water from the ocean I mean how much is a ship do we I mean do we have any ideas I have I tried to find it but like what is what does that look like on the uh, P&L I would say 4 to 7% as a percentage of overall revenue so fa- fairly significant right but you know global freight is in a mess right now we all know it you know prices are sky high I see a opportunity here which is don't let this crisis go to waste So there are things which you can do in the short term, but from a longer term perspective, how do you start thinking about your end-to-end global supply chain? You know, procurement, manufacturing footprint, distribution. How much of it is vertically integrated versus you know using your suppliers? How do you think about regional supply chains versus global supply chains? And at least the progressive retailers and consumer facing companies they have actually been spending time right now thinking through these footprint implications while doing the stuff which matters in order to solve for you know short term fixes so interesting but irrelevant interesting but irrelevant dave what would your advice be for retailers who are finding themselves in a similar predicament yeah i mean listen i think that the system is very much out of equilibrium uh so there are a few tactical things that I think retailers should be doing immediately and we're helping our clients with. The first is is, is kind of set up a logistics war room and get one version of the truth. Um, the reality is these things are happening in real time. So oftentimes you hear from a, you know, you hear from your, your guy that runs shipping, you hear from your supplier, like oftentimes they don't even know where the product is. Uh, is it, you know, is it still in the port? Is it on a ship? So getting one version of the truth uh, I think is is a critical first step. Uh, the second thing that we're looking at is is you know identify the biggest risks uh, to being you know to to not getting the product and look for alternatives. That alternatives can be air, it can be secondary markets. Uh, obviously, there's there's a range of things there. And then the last the last thing, and I think Mohu was alluding to this, is is longer term uh, changes need to be made now. So like rethinking your sourcing strategy in your offshoring strategy from a, from a manufacturing perspective, you know, especially in things that have shorter lead times, you can start moving those now um, and, and probably should. Um, my, my, I have a friend that describes the, the, the logistical situation we're in as there's a wreck in the Lincoln tunnel. Um, you can clean up that wreck, but there's traffic in Manhattan for the next 48 hours. Um, right. you know, between the Suez Canal and the LA ports, the system is just out of whack right now, and it could take quite a while to, to, to regain that kind of equilibrium. Retailers are trying all kinds of things these days. And in our next headline, we're going to talk about another thing that we're seeing that is a little unusual, not quite as unusual as buying its own container ship, but uh, Express and Urban Outfitters and J. Crew are all opening their websites to third-party sellers, hoping to win new shoppers and to compete against Amazon. So visitors to say express.com can shop for leggings. They can get the Express brand leggings, but now they'll also be served up Fat Buddha. Yes, that's Fat with a PH, and it's a real brand, uh, as well as other brands, all uh, fulfilled within the Express.com universe. Express and other retailers collect a portion of each item sold by the third party 
However, unlike Amazon, returns must be done directly with the third-party seller and may not be brought into the stores at all whatsoever. You guys, everybody's diversifying this week. I mean, Best Buy was in the news this week. They're selling grills and luggage. Like everybody's just, it's like a land grab right now. I feel like we're playing risk or something and everybody's just putting out all the pieces on the board. Um, Mohit, let's start with you. You you have this apparel experience. I'd love to get your perspective on what this is going to do to brands like Express and Urban Outfitters and J. Crew. I, I personally believe, I think this has unfortunately come a bit too late, right? I mean, you, you talked about this. All of these retailers are hoping to get incremental eyeballs, convert those eyeballs into their own loyal customers, and in process, also offer a more broader, more relevant assortment to existing customers with, you know, digitally native brands, if you may, right? But the interesting thing is, you know, Amazon now controls almost 35% of all online apparel, footwear, and accessories market in the U.S., Hmm. And to put that in perspective, it's seven times the next biggest player. That's the scale which Amazon is operating with, right? And the third third party reseller strategy has worked wonders for them. It will continue to work for them, also for Target and Walmart, because the consumer there truly has an endless aisle. It is backed by next day delivery, soon same day same day delivery, right? And frictionless service, right? So right. if you think from an Express, Urban, J. Crew, whosoever might be doing this, they might see small incremental benefits for sure. Um, but it's not going to move the needle, right? right. Uh, to me, this, this seems more like a distraction to their overall core business. And in some ways, you know, um, a desperate attempt at sorts to try and broaden the assortment. Mohit, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I'm curious, especially with your experience. I mean, do you think like, this is not just like a, a slap on experiment. This is like a, an entirely new business model. I mean, are they thinking about this? Do you think like J, J. Crew and Express, like, is this something they're just like, well, let's like just test it out and see if we can get more revenue. Or do you think that they're actually prepared to like start running a marketplace? Definitely. This is more of a pilot. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, think about all the major success stories in the apparel world as it relates to digital marketplaces, be it domestically or international expansion. So as an example, Gap, when they went to China, year one was a $60 million business on Tmall, right? Mm, right. Gap by itself could, could have done it. There's no way they would have got $60 million, right? So I, again, I go back to this is a world where you need to really focus on asset light models know your core strengths. Your core strengths are maybe product design, maybe it's branding, maybe it's value proposition. It's not running marketplaces. So in, in, in those areas which are not core to you, do the right partnerships and leverage their strengths for making it a win-win proposition. I could not agree more. I think that makes complete sense. Um, Dave, I'm curious what you think. Like, we know customers or, or people in general are going to Amazon 49% of the time when they are doing a legging search. Uh, do you think that they're going to start going to J. Crew for their uh, no, this, this comes down to me. Buddha leggings? <laughs> this comes down to me to a, uh, do you try to drive traffic uh, or do you go to places where traffic already exists? And I don't think that from a skill set perspective, Express Urban 
uh, or J Crew gets the kind of traffic that 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 you need to 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 be the basis of this. That said, listen, you might add some excitement to the website. You might add a small set of incremental sales. Um, but I wish they'd direct their energy at being best in class on other platforms. Like tweak your Amazon offer, even you know, Walmart.com or Target.com, tweak, tweak your offer there, and then you know, go international. I, there's just so so much more traffic, so many more shoppers on those platforms. I think the incremental minute that you spend perfecting your offer on those is much better spent than one trying to develop something yourself. Totally. And, or social, what are you doing on social and how are you going to, how do these brands fit into your social marketing campaign? That's what I'm wondering. Are you as express really going to invest money in promoting fat Buddha leggings on your site? Like, is there that demand? Do you have the time and energy to dedicate again to this entirely new business model? This is not just, you know, a, a, a slap on experiment that you can do. So um, you guys, that was great. I'm excited. We got one more story uh, this week. Headline number five in an effort to drive more people to its malls. Brookfield will be bringing in the lion's share of the 1000 new electric game box locations to Brookfield properties over the next two years. If you're not familiar Electric Game Box is a multiplayer video game experience developed in the UK. It occupies around 3,000 square feet of space and will open first at Brookfield's properties in Chicago, California, Virginia, and more starting next year. I'm sorry, starting this year. Teams of two to six people engage in 30 to 60 minute games that use projection mapping, motion tracking, and surround sound technology to deliver a group gaming experience without the use of bulky headsets. So just to create a mental picture, if you not, are not sure, this is definitely not Oculus. We're not like wearing goggles. It's like those like costume uh, visors that are clear, like in different colors. And they've got a tiny little camera that like looks like a little creature coming out of your head. And you are just standing in this room and you you turn it into an active game. Dave, we, let's start with you again. I want to hear what you have to say about this. Are you going all in? Is this going to bring people back to the malls? What do you think? I love this idea. I, I think this is a very smart move by Brookfield. About six months ago, I wrote an article on the future of malls with Yoav yeah. from Adept Mind. Um, and as we looked at it, I mean, malls are in a dark place, right? Traffic's That's down, right. although it has come back to a certain extent post-pandemic. That you're, you're struggling anchor tenants. You have tons of vacancies. There's no real reason for a consumer to go to the mall in its current construct. Um, and one of the one of the things that we recommended was that mall operators think about creating experience centers or something, you know, for a consumer to go do at the mall. Uh, I know Chris hates experiential retail, uh, <laughs> but food <laughs> but food courts just don't cut it. Uh, you know, customers need a reason to go into the mall and have a physical experience. And I think this is a great way uh, to drive traffic, to drive younger, valuable traffic that, you know, could uh, could build a long term relationship with the malls. Um, and I, I listen, I think it's a good idea. I, I don't know if a, you know, a thousand seems like a lot. Uh, I think we'll, we'll see. The jury's still out on, the, on on how many the market can support, but especially in, in you know, your A-malls, I think it's a great idea. Mohit, what about you? I think, uh, unfortunately, I'll have to agree with Dave on this one, which is uh, quite counterintuitive to my personality. But, <laughs> you know, um, I'll tell you, right, like, it's, it's like 25% of the malls or something are going to get shuttered down in the next three to five years. So, you know, 
how do you kind of drive traffic? They have talked about it, but how do you kind of drive experience? I think that experience could be driven in multiple ways. You know, clearly a step in the right direction, but um, I don't know, right? Like thousand locations in five years might be questionable. But listen, in, in today's world, if you are a mall owner, you either go big or you go home. So uh, right. definitely a very interesting concept. Yeah, I think it's, uh, let's see how much. Brookfield is also an investor in this company. So I, I we don't know the the details of, you know, what, how many locations they are getting as part of that investment relationship. Um, I think though that this is, a, it's a brilliant idea. It's a really low cost way. I mean, if you guys, I don't know if you guys ever had went to the tanning booths as a young teen, but I keep bringing back all these teen memories. It's a really, really special episode for me, but you know, it's like, it's essentially these rooms. I was looking at them. They're essentially like, you know, just sheetrock bare rooms that are needed, like a tanning bed, like setup. So the cost to build these out is practically nothing. And it's a really easy thing to scale up or scale down depending on demand. And I think, you know, I've been talking to even regional shopping, you know, center owners who are looking at this as an option. And the number one thing I think that they'll have to be careful for is how do you get people here? How are you marketing this experience? And what's what's the draw going to be? And then how are you building that day? Like you said, Dave and Mohit, both of you, like what else am I doing when I'm at the mall? You know, like this is a great way to get me there, but like you're going to have to have great food experiences for before and after this kind of thing. You know, you're going to have to have other services and things that are really compelling for people to stick around to really see the advantage of something like this, I think. Um, anybody, you guys have any closing points? Anybody? Want to no, tag Amazon outlet. Uh, I think yes. you know you put, you put this together with an Amazon outlet, and uh, and suddenly you have a reason to get back into the mall. Dave, I don't know if you heard last week, but we were just covering another. There's a di- another discount retailer that's doing bin discounting in a mall in Texas. So I mean, it's if after grocery stores, Amazon's into the Amazon return centers, and I, I would definitely go to a mall for that. I don't know about playing the game, but I would definitely go to the mall for the return center. Yep, the key is here going to be to diversify your tenant base. Stay away from volatile categories like, you know, apparel and footwear and get into some stable categories which can drive traffic. A hundred percent. All right. Well, that wraps us up, you guys. It is time for our rapid fire question round. Dave, Mohit, are you ready? I am ready. Let's do it. Okay, let's start with an easy one. Number one, cheddar or American? Mohit. I don't like either. Mozzarella. Oh, mozzarella. All right. Dave, cheddar American. American. It's all about the grilled cheese. Oh my goodness, you guys. The only answer there is cheddar. Uh, all right. Next question. Che Huang, CEO of Box and one of the best people to eat late night cheese from a dairy cold case display at a grocery conference with. That is a true story for another date. Um, che announced that Box is going public this week. Are you guys hot or cold on this move? Mohit, let's start with you. I think the timing is perfect. Capitalize on the tailwinds which have been generated from the pandemic and Box will need a lot of money to do it. So I would say it's a great move. Dave, how about you? I think it's great for Box. I think it's not great for investors. Good tailwinds on top line, questions on profitability, period. Right. Lots of money going around right now. That's for sure. Uh, number three, guess who's SPAC was the subject line of this week's Omnitalk e-newsletter. If you're not a subscriber, make sure you become one soon. But it was also a play on one of the most popular Eminem songs of all time, Without Me, that 
only a few people caught that reference, I'm sure. Uh, in your opinion, what is the best Eminem song of all time? Lose Yourself, The Real Slim Shady, or Without Me? Dave, we're starting with you. Lose Yourself. Go to pre-Omnitalk uh, song. No Mom Spaghetti, though. No. Do you know that is also a Chris Walton pump-up song? Uh, oh, yeah. Number one song. Shout out to Chris. All right, Mohit, what about you? I think latching on the right opportunities at the right time is super important. So definitely lose yourself. Oh, you guys, that was the only answer. You won flying colors. Last question. If you had to pick one of the companies mentioned in today's show that you'd most like to work with at A&M, who would it be? Dave, we'll start with you. Um, to work with, um, you know, there's a range of them. I, I think Home Depot might be the most interesting to work for. Uh, Amazon Fresh, because I think they're about to really disrupt the grocery space. <laughs> Mohit, what about you? I would pick Amazon Fresh. Uh, I think there's just going to be so much disruption in this space over the next five or six years. And the, the you know traditional way of doing groceries is going to get revamped very quickly in an accelerated manner. Couldn't agree more. Well, Fat Buddha is entirely enticing. I am going to agree with you guys and pick Amazon Fresh. Dave, Mohit, if people want to talk to you, if Amazon Fresh wants to come calling, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Mohit, let's start with you. It's my LinkedIn. Mohit Mahal on LinkedIn. All right, Dave, what about you? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn or at dritter, D-R-I-T-T-E-R at alvarezandmarsal.com. All right. Happy birthday today to one of my favorite musicians and also Grammy and Pulitzer Prize winner Kendrick Lamar. And can you imagine a mashup of Copacabana between these two? Happy birthday also to Barry Manilow. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice weekly e-newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at OmniTalk.com. Blog. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. And of course, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is brought to you with the help and support of the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities towards their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. And finally, BrightSign. BrightSign is the global market leader in digital signage experiences for retail, offering the most affordable total cost of ownership platform in the industry. BrightSign media players are the most respected and most reliable digital signage hardware on the planet and partners with all the leading content management software providers specializing specifically in the retail market. BrightSign also offers free cloud connectivity for remote monitoring and management of player networks. To learn more, visit brightsign.biz.